So John chapter 12. Uh, we explained last week that we've been in Luke. We just wrapped up Luke chapter 10 last Sunday. We'll be taking about a three-week break. We will take not about. We will be taking a three-week break from Luke, um, and we will be in John 12 this morning. Next week we'll think about the resurrection, and then the following week Matt will be preaching for us. Um, so this is what's going on these these three weeks. It was just over two years ago on Easter Sunday. April 8th, 2012, that we've had our first Sunday morning service in this location. Can you believe that? Um, so for nearly eight years, Grace Fellowship Church had met in the basement of Beachwood Baptist Church. Um, but on April 1st, we were there for the last time. And we, if you were there, you remember we bailed out water for the last time. Um, t- the tendency to flood over there. Uh, ironic that we came in and we had flooding here, even though we're on the second floor. It was amazing. Um, it was like God was welcoming us to our new place. Um, but on that, that wet, rainy Palm Sunday morning, we asked the question. We said, why? Why are we moving? I mean, things weren't bad at, at Beachwood. We had plenty of space to meet in, probably a bigger space than we have here. The rent was cheaper. Um, the nursery was bright and colorful, if you remember the the bright nurseries for those of you that were that were there. The air was probably the air conditioning worked a little better than it does here. Um, so why would we move? Why would we leave that place? We said that Sunday that morning that we were leaving so that we might come to this neighborhood and die. If you remember that, not that our church would die, not that the church would cease to exist, but that we might lay down our lives for the glory of God in this neighborhood. But to be honest, I. I thought there might be the possibility that our church could die. <laughs> we all knew that. You know, there was a lot going on. People, it's hard to know what God was doing in those days. We had a lot of people um, that were leaving the church, not because they were upset, not because they had um, denied the faith, but just they were leaving Louisville. And so they were leaving our church. And we didn't really know what was going on. Uh, you know, the size of a church isn't necessarily the indicator of its of its health, you can have a few people and be a really healthy church, but there were just questions that, that we needed to ask, things that we needed to consider. And so when we came here two years ago, there was kind of this unstated, unscientific clock ticking in my head that said, all right, two years, let's see what happens. This is, we had a two-year rent, a two-year lease, and there was just this thought, what's, what's God going to do with Grace Fellowship Church? I, I didn't know the right questions to ask. I knew there were serious questions that we needed to ask, and I think we all knew that, but we didn't. I, we didn't want Grace Fellowship Church to fail. Obviously, we love one another, and yet we just were kind of, what's going to happen when we move to this place? Something's got to happen. And in my mind, again, it was this two-year uh, cutoff, as it were. Well, Tuesday was two years, uh, and I think that God has done something. It's amazing to think about what He has done, um, not just in those two years, but even within the the history of, of our church as a whole. But if you were a, a charter member of Grace Fellowship Church, could you stand up, just so we can get a feel for this? Do, do you know if you were a charter member? I know Mark was. Joel, you can stand up. Who else? And Lolith and Emily? Yeah, so some charter... Come on, don't be shy. So charter members, if you were here two years ago when we came, stand up. Right, so this was the core of Grace Fellowship Church in those days. All right, everyone sit down. If you've just shown up 
I know some people can't stand If you've just shown up and you've never visited Grace Fellowship Church until this past year, would you stand up? Yes, CJ, that's you. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this interesting? Go ahead and have a seat. So, Grace Fellowship Church is, is, is the same in a lot of ways. We're the same place that we were two years ago. Um, we're, we're still a place of grace. We're, we're still this, this family where anyone can come. We're still the place where we're going to celebrate birthdays. And if you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby shower. And if you've got a wedding come up, there's going to be a wedding shower for you. Um, everyone gets a despedida if they have to, to leave. Um, we still love fellowship. I think potluck could be in our statement of faith, don't you? I think it really could. Um, and we're still not a Filipino church, but we are a church with a lot of Filipinos. Uh, we embrace um, that, that our roots are in the Filipino fellowship, and that's still evident and celebrated within our church. But we're also very different than we were two years ago. Uh, I saw Mark Sherrod, who was the, kind of the main pastor before uh, I came back two years ago, uh, and Mark said, how's Grace going? And I said, well, it's different. <laughs> it's a different place. It's the same, but it's, it's very different. God is fulfilling the dream of our church being a more multicultural church of, of, of representing the neighborhood that we live in. God has placed us in, in this community to be a place of, of help and, and hope within the Bonaire neighborhood, and, and that's happening. I think from our picnic last August through our Thanksgiving outreach in November until this very day, God has taken the desire to show the love of Jesus, to come to this place, to lay down our lives, to die so that Jesus would be lifted up. I think God is honoring that in many ways, and it's exciting uh, to see, we're thankful that there are more people. We're growing in number. Again, numbers aren't an indicator of health, but we're thankful that there's more people to help minister in this neighborhood. There's more people that, that we've been able to share the gospel with. So this this church, this group is, is, is changing in a unique way. And I don't know why. I don't know why now. I don't know why us. I think about the words of John 3.8. Jesus tells, says this to Nicodemus. He says, The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it's where it comes from or or where it goes. Think about the wind; you you feel it, you you see its effects, but you're not really sure where it's coming from, where it goes. And then he says, "So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." I think what I take from that is that the Spirit does what He wants with who He wants, when He wants, and there's no way to force Him or tell Him what to do or how to do it or when to do it. He does what He wants, and so. There's something unique that, that 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 God is doing in our church, and we're just kind of along for the ride, whatever God's Spirit is leading us to do. But I think as we think about two years here, and then as this September we celebrate ten years in existence as a church, if you can believe that, our church has been around for ten years, I think it's wise for us to pause once again, and to remember, why are we here? What is what is the purpose of Grace Fellowship Church? And why are we here at 3415 Bardstown Road in Bonaire? What is, why has God placed us here? What's, what's our purpose? We were in John 12 two years ago. Um, and when we were in John 12 two years ago, we, we, we saw these events of, of Palm Sunday, and we talked about, and we focused in on verse uh, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so we're coming here to die. And we, we thought about that. We're going to think about a different verse this morning. We're going to think about John 12:32. And I, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people 
to myself. We're really going to zero in on that thought there. But I want to read all of John 12. This is a longer portion of Scripture, uh, but I think it's good for us to pause and to read this whole chapter. It's 50 verses. So if you don't have a Bible, I do encourage you to get one. It's going to be easier to follow along as I read. Um, But let's just engage with the text here. Put your nose in a Bible, and let's read together and, and think about John 12, and then we'll zero in on that that verse. We actually closed our sermon last Sunday with these verses in John 12, 1 through 8. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you. But you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. 
Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. What a wonderful chapter. There's so much in there, isn't there? There's so many verses that jump out at me and that would be good to think about. I said last, two years ago, we, we looked at that verse, verse 24. And this morning, I want us to look at verse 32. It says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The context of these verses that, that we read really hinge on verse 23. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We talked a couple years ago when we looked at this passage that, that the book of John is pushing towards this hour so often. It keeps talking about, Jesus says, My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. He repeats that over and over again in the book of John. And here in John 12 is the first place that he finally says, The hour has come. And so the book of John pushes, 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 pushes all the way to this moment in John chapter 12. And we, and we see it again, actually, um, in John 17. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. You can even turn back in, in, in verse chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So there's this... There's this hinge of sorts that's going on, and it's, it's based on the hour that is, that is coming. I think it comes because there's this tension that's, that's rising. Palm Sunday is this moment where, where the followers of Jesus say, He's the King. Let's crown Him. And the religious leaders watch this and they say, We hate Him. Let's kill Him. 
And so the, the crowd is, is completely divided, and it's this tension that builds throughout the book of John where Jesus causes division and division and division. And now they're so angry with Jesus that not only are they going to kill him, it says here they, they were going to kill Lazarus too. Because people started following Jesus because Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so now they're mad at Lazarus. Let's just kill both of them and be done with this whole thing. But the crowd is saying, no, we want to make him king. And you see in verse 19, the Pharisees don't know what to do because they say, you see, you're gaining nothing. The whole world has gone after him. There's this huge division going on. And in that moment, it's actually what sparks it is the Greeks coming. The Greeks come to Jesus. So Jesus had come for the house of Israel, but now the Greeks are saying, we want to see Jesus. <laughs> we, we want to know what's going on with, with Jesus. And so they want a part of this. And, and it's almost as if Jesus says, that's the last straw. The Pharisees will not take that. And it's over. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's interesting, isn't it? What's the hour? It's for the Son of Man to be glorified. He doesn't say the hour has come for the Son of Man to be crucified. He says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But he's not going to be glorified through what should have come after he enters this city on the donkey. That's that's the sign that he's the king. He's fulfilled this Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah that he is the king. But but he will not um, be glorified by ascending to a throne. He'll be glorified by being lifted up on cross. That's, that's the glory of Jesus. And everything has been pushing to this moment. If we're going to answer the question, why did Jesus come to earth? Why, why, did he, why did he come? I think one way that we can answer that question is he came to glorify the Father by being lifted up to die. Jesus came to earth to glorify the Father by being lifted up and if that's why Jesus came, I think that we can actually transfer that. If we're asking this question, why are we here? If you are a follower of Jesus, why do you exist? And why does this church exist? I think we can take that. So Jesus came to glorify the Father by being lifted up. Then we as individuals and as a church exist to glorify God by lifting up Jesus. That is a simple way to say why we're here. We exist to glorify God by lifting up Jesus. Let's think first on this, is that the lifting up of Jesus does glorify God. So Jesus being lifted up glorifies God. It says that here. It says in verse 27, Now is my soul trouble. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? So Jesus is struggling. He says, my soul is troubled. This is going to be difficult. To go to the cross, to die, he knows what's coming. He knows that his hour has come. He knows what it's all been pushing toward. And now he says, should I step away from this? Should I find some way out of this? What's his response to himself? He asks himself this question. He says, but this, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And then he prays, Father, glorify your name. This is the heartbeat of Jesus. It's the glory of God, the lifting up the name of God, and then a voice comes out of heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I've been struck as we've gone through Luke at the instances where heaven opens and God speaks. We've seen it twice in the book of Luke. One is at the baptism. So where Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness, he says, by being baptized, and the heavens open up, and God says, 
this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He, he lifts Jesus up, and, and God is glorified in what Jesus is doing. The next one is the transfiguration, where there's this confusion, where Peter says, let's make a booth for you, Jesus, and for Moses and Elijah. And God descends in the cloud and says, no way, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. So, and here the, the heavens open again. And God speaks, and it sounds like thunder or an angel. And he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Interesting, isn't it? He says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. That, that Jesus' name has been glorified right from the beginning, from his, from his conception. His, he is glorified into his, his birth and his, his life and then his, his miracles and his compassion, um, his spotless life that he, that he never sinned. He has glorified God and God has glorified him. And then God says, and I will glorify it. I will glorify it through your death. I will glorify it through your resurrection. I will glorify you through the ascension. I will glorify you for all eternity until we return and take the glory that is rightly ours. And so there's this sense where God has glorified it. And God is, he says, should I stop this? No, I've come to glorify the Father. This is what I have to do. And the Father says, yes, do it. This glorifies me. The lifting up of Jesus glorifies God. But the lifting up of Jesus also proclaims the message of salvation. He says, this, is, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rule of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When I am lifted up from the earth. This isn't the first time that Jesus has actually talked about being lifted up. We looked at one in Sunday school in John chapter 8. But, but he actually does it again with, with Nicodemus. And in, in, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is confused about the new birth. He doesn't understand what Jesus is, is talking about. And he says, how can these things be? And so this is Jesus' response. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Kind of an insult there to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not, you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then Jesus says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus knew this was coming, and he, he hearkens back to Moses in Numbers chapter 21. So the children of Israel are in the wilderness back in Numbers 21. And this is what Jesus is referring to when he talks to Nicodemus, and he says, As the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Listen to this account from Numbers 21. It says, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. Not surprising with the children of Israel or the children of God in general. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, and we load this worthless food. So they're complaining again. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Can you imagine that scene? So they rebel against God, and God says, okay, snakes. <laughs> and they start biting the people, and the people are, are sick, and people die. And the people came to Moses and said, 
We have sinned. We we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Moses intercedes for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's it. That's the whole account. It's just a short little account. But Jesus says, that's me. I am the serpent in the wilderness. And when they were bit, just imagine that scene of being, that you're, you're one of these children of Israel and you're, you're bit by this fiery serpent and death is imminent. You, what are you going to do? There's no an- antibody. There's no, you know, anti-venom or whatever they would call it. And what's, the only hope is to look, just to look. You don't have to do anything. You look. If, if you look at the serpent that's lifted up, then you will be saved. And Jesus says, that's me. The bronze snake for the people of Israel, it was, it was their healing, it was, it was their life, it was their salvation. And Jesus says, that's me. When I'm lifted up, I am the source of salvation. All who look to me in faith will be saved. You know, that's the core of what, what I want to say. If you... If you have the venom of sin in you, <laughs> if you have de- a death sentence over you because of sin, and we all do, apart from Jesus, that, that we have sin running in our veins, and it's going to kill us. It will actually damn us, is what the Bible tells us. We will spend eternity in hell because of the sin and our rebellion against God. And we have no hope except that Jesus has been lifted up. And he doesn't say that we need to come to him and, and do a bunch of things. What's he say to do? Look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. Look to me. Find faith in me. Trust in what I have accomplished by being lifted up to die, and you will be saved. You know, there's many things as we're thinking about what we as a church need to do. We, we want to lift, to glorify God by lifting up Jesus. There are a lot of messages that, that we could proclaim. I mean, scripture has a lot. There's a lot of things that we could come up with to, to talk about. There's false messages. We could talk about moralism. I could tell you all how you need to live your life and that that's how you're going to please God. I could preach a gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity that if you look to Jesus, not only will he save you, but he'll give you everything that you ever wanted. I think those are false messages. We could, we could hit secondary messages. We could overemphasize certain things. Um, in scripture, we could become so enamored with certain points of doctrine that we miss the core. And what is the core? It's the lifting up of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He's a pastor back in the 19th century. He said, let each of us who are called to the solemn work of the ministry, we're all involved in that work. That's not just me. We're all involved in this work of the ministry. Remember that we are not called to lift up doctrine or church governments, or particular denominations. Our business is to lift up Christ Jesus and to preach Him fully. There may be times when church government is to be discussed and particular doctrines are to be vindicated. God forbid that we should silence any part of the truth, but the main work of the ministry, its everyday work, is just exhibiting Christ, showing Christ, and crying out to sinners, Believe! Believe! Believe on Him who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's, that's the simple message that we want to proclaim. It's, it's the message that Paul talks about. He says in 1 Thessalonians, um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 
2. This is what Paul says. He talks to the Thessalonians whom he had visited. And he said, For you know, you yourselves know, brothers, that, that our coming to you was not in vain. But although we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare, declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive but just as we, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not preaching myself. I'm not trying to convince you with fancy doctrine. I'm just presenting to you Christ. He says that in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, um, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. The Jews say, we want a sign to know that the truth. And Greeks seek wisdom. We want to be smart. But we preach Christ crucified. That, that's Paul's message. We preach Christ crucified. That, that's it. That's the whole message. Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That phrase there, but to those who are called. Jesus says here, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. It's interesting, isn't it? If Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all people. But will all people be saved? No. So what does that mean? There's a sense in which when Jesus is lifted up, all people are drawn to him and see who he is. But not all will accept him, that there are those who reject. He even says that here in this passage. He says there are those that do not believe, even verse 38, therefore they could not believe. God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. This is not ours to know or to understand totally. And even Jesus himself just says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so our job as the church is to lift up Jesus, to lift up the gospel, to show forth Christ. That's the message that we proclaim. The lifting up of Jesus proclaims the message of salvation. So whatever else we do, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff, okay? We've got a, a lot of things that are going on, but and things that we can teach. But but the core of our message has to be Christ and Him crucified. It has to be the lifting up of Jesus. We could solve every problem in this neighborhood. We could speak to them all. We could give all the training that we want to help people deal with the many issues that are in their lives. We could even help ourselves grow in different ways. But unless Christ is lifted up and seen as the goal, that salvation, peace with God is ultimately what is necessary, then Whatever other message you proclaim really doesn't matter. I think that's the other thing that we draw from this is the lifting up of Jesus is the method of drawing people to salvation. When I was in college, I was drawn to free food because I was poor and I was young and you're always hungry when you're in your, you know, between 18 to 22. There's never a point where if someone says, would you like some food? You'd say, no, I'm full. I mean, you're always ready to eat. And so I would... You know, when, when Free Cone Day showed up at Ben and Jerry's on Chicago Avenue, I was there with all of my friends two, three times a day because it was free and it was food. Um, 
I, I even dressed up like a burrito one time because Chipotle would give me a free burrito. And I didn't go just to one Chipotle. I went to three. Uh, and we saved those burritos for a couple of days. I was drawn to free food. So you just put that sign up, you're going to find some college students or some young adults. There's something interesting here, that idea of drawing. Jesus says, I, there's almost an if statement here, and if I, if, if, when I, if I am lifted up from the earth, then I will draw all people to myself. A lot of things that we do to try to draw people. And churches are, are really good at this. We're really good at trying to find ways to draw people. And you know, we have a look at our program that we have. This will draw them in. This will bring them in. Um, our, our facility. We can talk about how beautiful it is. Our music. Even in our church, you know, our, our benevolence. If you come here, we will help you with your financial needs. There's a, there are many different methods for drawing people in. And they're not all evil. I mean, they're not bad. But we want people to come. We want them to come to, to hear the truth of the gospel. And so, you know, we work hard at that. We, we need to. We, we do a community picnic. Why? Because we want people, we want to draw people. And people probably, if I say, would you like to come to church? They, they probably won't. But if I say, would you like to come to a picnic? Sure, I'll come to a picnic. And then we, we, we want them to see the, the, the love of Christ displayed amongst us and that they would be attracted to that. And, and we do this Easter outreach. You know, we're going to do an Easter outreach and say, come and have breakfast with us. I don't think it's a bait and switch, you know, where we say, come have breakfast and then we're going to preach the gospel to you. Because they know they're coming to church on Easter Sunday. They know they're going to hear something. We, we need to find some sort of, of balance. But there is something amazing here that says, if we lift up Jesus, he will draw all people to himself. I want us to be, I want us to find that balance as a church. That we would say, you know what? Just lifting Jesus up. Just proclaiming the truth of the gospel. There's something about that that will draw all people, that, that he will do the act of, of drawing people to himself. I don't think that means that we don't have an Easter breakfast or a church picnic. But in the midst of all that, we say, you know what? The breakfast doesn't draw people. <laughs> Jesus does. And the, and the picnic doesn't draw people. Jesus does. And, and the love that we have for them um, as we as we help people with, with, with difficulties in life, as we, as we minister to people, that's not ultimately what draws them. Jesus draws them. And our job is just to lift Jesus up. Let's, let's, let's lift up the gospel. Let's let Jesus be seen as great. And when that happens, people will come. He says, all people. I will draw all people to myself. That's what I want our church to be. You know, we've, we've been that. I think in the 10-year history of Grace Fellowship Church, the gospel has been central. I don't, think, I don't think we've lost that. That's not what I'm saying. I just want to remind us that that's ultimately going forward. So two years from now when we have, to have this discussion again, and then maybe 10 years when we celebrate 20 years as a church, that that, we would, that, that would be the same, that we wouldn't say, you know, now we, we brought a lot of people in because our building is so beautiful and because potluck is awesome and because we really helped a lot of people out. That, that's not the goal. And the goal isn't just to get a bunch of people in. Because when we lift up Jesus, we are glorifying God. And that that's the goal. 
The goal is the glory of God seen in the salvation of people who do not know him. And the gospel isn't just for people that are outside of the church. But as a church, we want to keep lifting Jesus up as the solution to everything. We don't want to be Galatians, having begun by the Spirit to be perfected by the flesh. We want to keep coming back to the gospel and saying, okay, Christ is all that we need. We just need to continue to lift up the cross, and that's where the the goal, he is the goal, he is the message that we proclaim. And if we keep doing that, he will draw all people to himself. That's so freeing. You know, it feels like the one thing that we studied last week. You need to love God. What's the one thing you need to do? Mary, Mary chose the good thing. What was it? Just listen to Jesus. If you want to love God, listen to Jesus. If we want to glorify God, you know what we need to do? We need to lift up Jesus. Make Jesus look great. Show forth the beauty of the gospel. And he will do the drawing of all men to himself. So let's not get tied up with with other things. We, We want to do other things, but to recognize that that's not what's drawing people. Jesus is the one who is going to draw people. And there's a, the amazing thing is, is he's the one that sorts it out in the end. We lift him up, and the light is there, and we encourage people, step into the light, but then there are those who who will hear, and they, they will not believe. It's inevitable, it says. But we continue to lift Christ up. We continue to show forth who he is. This is a... Simple message. I'll be honest, it, it struck me this week. I was at a conference that was about evangelism. It was just good to pause and to say, you know what? The, the gospel is the core of what we are. Telling people to be reconciled to God, that's the core of what we are. So again, I, I would just say, if, if you're here and you've, you've come for any other reason than the glory of God and, and seeing Jesus made Lord of your life, then that's that's why we want you here. I, we we love you. We we want you to be here. And, and those of you that even are members of this church, maybe you've gotten mixed up. You're coming to the church just for the things that it can give you. We, Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the one that we're seeking to lift up. And if we just look at him, we will be saved. Simple faith in Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord God, forgive us for lifting up other things or thinking that other things will draw people to you. We just lift up Jesus. We proclaim the truth that Jesus has come to live and die and to rise again so that we could have hope. Then then you will do the drawing and you will glorify yourself. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to see you lifted up. And so help us to lift up Jesus. Jesus.